everybody welcome back to the beyond the peloton podcast i'm spencer martin of the beyond the peloton newsletter that breaks down pro cycling pretty much pedal stroke by pedal stroke so check that out if you want to know even more about the sport in the races i'm here with andrew vance from the choose the hard way podcast we are going to do uh, an overview of the Giro d'Italia, which is like the Tour de France, but in Italy. Um, Three-week race. It starts on Saturday. And then we're going to get into a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe some of our passion topics about the race, our gripes, what we're looking forward to, who we think is going to win. But Andrew, do you want to say a quick word about your Choose the Hard Way podcast before we get in? Yeah, Choose the Hard Way is a podcast about how hard things build stronger humans and how hard things in life are often the most fun frequently have guests from the world of pro cycling. I've been going deep into a gravel and mountain bike direction recently. Spencer and I have done a bunch of podcasts over on Choose the Hard Way together. And recently I dropped, I've dropped Dylan Johnson from the Lifetime Series and YouTube, Sid and Mackey, who are YouTubers and pro mountain bikers. I've got Ben Delaney, cycling journalist and gravel pro YouTuber coming up next week, I think. And uh, Spencer and I did Kristen Faulkner a little while back. So come check us out. Find Choose the Hard Way everywhere you listen at Hardway Pod on social and choosethehardway.com. You can get all the episodes, all the info. Come check it out. Yeah, I highly recommend checking it out. And we booked big time guest for, uh, for the, near, the near future. So stay tuned for that. Andrew, so this is, I'll just give a quick 21 stages through Italy. Um, the Giro tends to be more of a literal tour of the country than the Tour de France. The Tour de France just kind of bops around and hits the best parts of the country. They don't sometimes they'll just ignore entire halves of the country. Mauro Vigny, Vigny the Giro director, likes to actually ride kind of up the boot. Um, he doesn't start in Sicily this year like he's been doing the last few years, but they do work their way from south to north, finishing up in the Dolomites in the northeast region. Uh, it is eight mountain stages with six summit finishes, so that's going to be significant. Five flat-ish stages that could be sprints. Five kind of medium hilly stages that could be either sprints, uh, GC days, or breakaways. And then three time trials, which is unusual. We have like 68 kilometers of ind individual time trialing, which is a ton in modern cycling. A little twist, nine of those are uphill, and we have one summit finish in the time trials. That may or may not happen. We can get into that right up top if we want to. But Andrew, what are your quick thoughts on this Euro route? Are you excited for it? Are you not? What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm definitely excited. The thought that I had as I took a deep dive into the route reminds me of some Vuelta routes where the level of difficulty between the climbs, the time trials, it could either make for high drama or an incredibly boring race. Because what sometimes happens is the more difficult the parkours is the, you know, it just leads to this point of total exhaustion and then it effectively neutralizes some of the really difficult mountain stages. I think that that could happen. I think we're likely to go down to the wire here and, you know, we're going to talk about what's going on with stage 20 in this time trial in a minute here, but things could get pretty hot in that third week and we could see the lead change hands. So I'm really excited about the route. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I guess it wasn't as when it first came out, I was thinking, oh, it's not as hard as I thought it would be. Like the zero is usually the hardest grand tour. But as you say, the downside of that is you can kind of just get this unbelievable accumulated fatigue and it's almost like slow motion racing or the third week is so stacked that everyone just sits and waits for 
two or three mountain stages in the third week, which is exactly what happened last year. We saw pretty much just shadow boxing between Carapaz and Jai Hindley for two and a half weeks and then like two days of real racing kind of coming to a, a head on the final summit finish. But in retrospect, Hindley probably was just waiting for the you know, final 5K of that final climb all race. You know, and if I was going to flag one concern here, it would be that stage 20 time trial that may or may not happen, but it finishes with a, an eight kilometer climb average of over 11%. So that's steeper than the infamous stage 20 in the 2020 Tour de France when Primoz Roglic lost the GC lead. So what, what do you, let's imagine what Primoz is thinking. Oh, there's a steep time trial on stage 20. I'm going to try to conserve as much energy as possible until we get to those final 8K because I've been burned there before. And I'm just going to try to do what Pogacar did to me back then. I'm, not, I'm going to do as little as possible for two and a half weeks and just go up this final time trial as fast as possible. You know, that's the only downside of this route that you could really see some conservative racing. On the flip side, Remco Evenepoel coming into this thing, I guarantee you, unbelievably fit. Like, I think he could even win the uh, time trial tomorrow on stage one. He, he's not going to hold back. So that is our one saving grace where we have like a Evanopol hopped up on caffeine and over-the-counter, you know, stimulants and five weeks of altitude training. It's just going to be absolutely ripping through the first half of this race. Yeah, bathtub, PCP, disco dust. We don't know what's going to come <laughs> out for this race. Um, well, I mean, you know, I am really curious about cumulative volcano time is maxing out your volcano time the best way to go or are we going to see remco you know with a patina of fatigue coming into the race like i think that remains to be seen yeah and he didn't so he was on the volcano or at some altitude camp before liege after liege did you see he went to his uh, little hotel area in spain where you can stay in these rooms and you can change the pressure in the room, I guess, and it, you can simulate altitude. So, we, you know, we've been debating on this podcast if that actually is effective or not. I think Marco Panati from the Jayco team pointed out that, you know, one downside of that is like, realistically, how long can you stay in one room for a day? It's like, okay, your room's at altitude, but are you in there for what, 12 hours, 14 hours? Like there's a limit to how long you can be in there, but it allows you to train at sea level. So that's what he's been doing since Liège. Kind of curious to see how he comes into stage one. Based on that, he usually comes out of that hotel pretty, pretty fit. But also, this is a three-week race. You know, this isn't Liège. You can't just parachute in, blow everyone away. You know, by stage 15, 16, is he going to have the benefits of that altitude? Also, where has Primus Roglic been? Does this... I w- if I was a competitor, I would be a little concerned. Like, the missing Primos. Has he... I assume he's been in an altitude camp somewhere. The last time we saw him at, you know, he hasn't lost a race this year. Like he won Torino Adriatico. Um, he wasn't, I would not even say close to peak fitness. He comes back to Volta Catalunya, beats Remco Evenepoel, looked pretty strong. And he's been missing since then. I assume just getting fitter and fitter. Is it a little weird to you that Remco Evenepoel is the favorite, like a heavy, heavy favorite, negative odds. So that means if you bet $100 on him, you win like 80, which is insane for a Grand Tour because anything can happen over three weeks. I, in my mind, they're more, they're more coin flip. You know, they, they're like any, either of them could win. I'm shocked that Primos is the underdog. How are you feeling about that? In this case, I think that Primos's habit of 
losing a, a significant portion of his buttocks in the second or third week of a stage race when he's in the lead is the, you know, that's the gating factor that's holding him back in the betting markets, I would say. From a fitness point of view, I mean, Primos is a killer and he certainly could win this race. Can he stay upright long enough to actually succeed in doing so is the question mark. And with Remco, as you noted, Spencer, when we talked to Marco Panati, he shared with us that being on the volcano is superior to being in an altitude controlled environment in a hotel room or an altitude tent. However, I have to think that uh, if Quick Step were, I don't know, they put a bag of Sour Patch Kids in there in an Xbox, maybe they <laughs> had him in there 18 to 20 hours a day. We don't know. Maybe he was just coming out to go train. So I think that remains to be seen. I think the big, uh, the other big factor with Primos, of course, and we're going to talk about this, is it's 2023. It's, it's May 5th, 2023. And COVID is, a again, a significant factor that's going to impact the outcome of this race. And I, I believe that we did talk about this a couple of weeks ago, that there were COVID uh, cases popping up in the Peloton again. And, you know, what's not being reported here is these riders are testing positive. There was the very creative approach to COVID during the 2022 Tour de France where the uh, ASO's doctors were using a methodology that was not being used anywhere else in the world that allowed them to discern whether a <laughs> yeah. rider could If you're contagious <laughs> or not. Yeah, I've never heard of this before. Yeah. 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 But I'm wondering, where did that rule go and... What kind of impact is Yumbo and other teams are they seeing when riders have COVID? Certainly, it must impact the immune system. And then I worry about, I again, we don't know where Primos has been or SEP. And I saw that they just swapped in another rider today. And that, in fact, uh, Rohan Dennis is now going to the Giro. So he's a late, a very late call up, right? We're talking the day before the race. So this is not this is not the well-oiled machine that one would want to have when going for a GC title in a Grand Tour. Yeah, well, oddly the team is better. So there was COVID apparently at, in the team at Tour of Romandie. They took out um, Robert Hessink and someone else, but they've swapped in San Omen and Rowan Dennis, which in theory are really good riders. As you say, the two days notice probably not ideal. If you're on the long list, though you should be staying in good enough shape that you could perform the job if you were called up. I also don't, I don't think this is not organization testing. Like the tour is not testing anymore. The zero is not testing. This is just the teams. So, you know, the team could, could just have a rider test positive and have them race. Like they don't have to pull them out. I assume they're pulling these riders out because either they're too sick to ride or, you know, the, the worst thing that could happen is you get primo sick. So they just want to keep their leaders safe. Yeah. I wonder if we've, if I just kind of wonder if they weren't testing up until now, because if you're not at a grand tour, does it really matter? Like someone's sick, send them home, you know, at a grand tour, you'd probably want to keep someone there as long as possible, even if they're a little sick. So you want to make sure they have COVID so they're not giving it to everyone. That's kind of my theory about why we're seeing a sudden spike in cases. It's not like COVID has gone anywhere. Like we've been getting COVID in my house the last three months. So it's, unclear what's happening there. Well, here was a little stat about Primos though. He's won three out of the last five Grand Tours. He's no, three out of the last four Grand Tours he's finished. That's absurdly good. 
He's finished one out of the last four Grand Tours he's started. That's not great. So that goes into your concern about, you know, does he get COVID? Does he crash out? He doesn't have a fantastic finish rate uh, since 2021. That is a concern of mine. I'm frankly a little concerned. Does he have COVID currently? Like if this many guys in his team have COVID, it's not clear to me what the the situation is is he already at the race or did they test these guys before they left to come to the race if he's been around teammates with covid i'm a little concerned about him and i wonder if they're just you know hoping for the best maybe he can turn things around before tomorrow's time trial i mean they have such frequent covid over at yumbo visma that their social media person <laughs> knows how to find the amoeba shaped emoji which i i have never seen before <laughs> i didn't know it existed <laughs> i didn't know it existed so you know chapeau to you to you all that's pretty amazing i mean i would guess they just test a lot or they they probably have people test before they show up and then when they get there like sudal quick step i don't know this i don't know anything about it i wouldn't be surprised if they're just not testing at all if you get two six to ride keep riding we don't care but yeah, Yumbo is a very logic-oriented team who probably wants to um, keep close tabs on their riders. You know, people on Twitter keep saying, like, stop testing. They're like, well, I don't know if that's going to solve the issue because isn't the real issue your riders are sick and then they are slow and they cannot ride bikes very fast? That would be my concern. Spence, the sleeper here, of course, is Garrett Thomas. What do you expect from Garrett? I've actually spent too much time time and brain injury <laughs> injury yeah i have a brain injury now because i've been spending so much time thinking about garrett thomas at the zero on paper you'd think wow this is his time he is 36 years old finished third at the tour last year was really good at that tour he's done nothing since that tour in fact he's shown us so little this year i, I kind of even wonder is he going to be able to hold leadership on that team you know if Teo gegenhardt is good if pavel sivakov is good if time and armsman is good how, how is Garrett Thomas going to, you know, tell the team they have to ride, you know, if they have to ride for him? He knows how to do that. <laughs> I, I'm not feeling great about this. But then at the same time, it's Garrett Thomas. So I didn't see that third place coming at the tour last year. I feel like this guy's capable of anything. I don't know. We'll, we'll know a lot more after the stage one time trial like that. Actually, I think those early time trials can tell you a lot about the fitness of riders and this idea of oh, they'll just ride into it, right? You hear this all the time. You know, he's not fit now. He'll ride into fitness. Like that's not happening anymore. Like the level is too high to show up at a Grand Tour out of shape and then just get in shape during the Grand Tour. You know, personally, I don't, I'm not loving his odds of a good finish here, but wouldn't be shocked by it. That's a terrible answer. How do you feel about it? I tell you what, if we see him rock up to that first individual time trial with the now signature Spaceballs helmet that's like shoulder width with the giant ski goggles and just as a flex, he wears a vest. Then we'll know that he feels highly confident and that he can take this race. I will say though, something that I've spent some time chewing on is thinking about scenarios where, you know, whether it's COVID Rex, as we saw happen with Pagacha recently, what happens if all of the favorites get wiped out through happenstance, COVID, whatever the case may be, and we go down a level, who do we think is going to win the race? And then 
that's when I see Thomas being a potential winner. And what we saw at the tour last year was, you know, Garrett Diesel. Like every time all the explosive Galactico action was happening, he was, you know, Thomas the tank engine back there just dieseling along in classic Ineo style and managed to pull himself back or to be within spitting distance of being competitive time and again, which was very unexpected to me. It was just that high cadence, steady FTP or above effort, right, on the climbs, but he almost always pulled things back or lost relatively little time for a rider who's been around for a while. So I think that's not a super unlikely scenario that something unexpected happens and we see all the favorites kind of wiped out and then who's going to win? And maybe it's Thomas. Well, I, the premise I don't disagree with. Two things concern me. As of a week ago, he was not in shape. That concerns me. And he hasn't finished the Giro since 2012. Like, if you think Primus Roglic has the crash bug, Garrett Thomas, oh my lord. Like, he'll be, he'll be searching for motorbikes to ride into in the first week of this Giro. Like, this guy, I don't know what it is about Italy and uh, British riders, but they cannot stop crashing. Bradley Wiggins showed up and just couldn't stop crashing and had to abandon. And then Garrett Thomas has actually looked good here in the past and just, you know, either ridden into motorbikes. He just, I don't know what is going on with him in Italy, but he cannot stay on his bike. One, like, I do kind of wonder, are we underestimating someone? And I know I'm the only person on the planet who thinks this guy uh, can win a grand tour, but Joao Almeida, he, if we look back at just the facts, like he's finished, he finished second behind Primus Roglic at Terreno Radiratico. He can climb really well. I think he was third at Catalonia behind Remco and Primos. He can climb really well and he can time trial really well. I, you know, it's my pet theory he would have won that Giro last year had he not got COVID because he would have mowed down Carapaz and Hindley in that final time trial and put like two minutes into them. But you know, if we're thinking Evanapol, Roglic, something happens to them, the race is wide open. Almeida's, you know, kind of the one I'm looking to and think could do really well. He's never finished below six in a Grand Tour before. Really good rider. Thomas, I just, I would have liked to seen some fitness from him, but maybe that's too much to ask. Maybe that's not the Thomas way. Normally, I might disagree with you, Spencer, but given that Gaviria has won a few races <laughs> this year, yeah. I, I feel like anything can happen in 2023. Is, this is the year of infinite possibility. A real, yeah, that, I actually wanted to ask you about that. Fernando Gaviria wins the final stage of Tour of Romandy. Looking fantastic, by the way. He opened the sprint up from 350 meters out, easily wins it. We could see this guy. I don't think this guy's won a Grand Tour stage since 2019. It was at the Giro. I think we could see him, I, I don't know, at the risk of sounding like an idiot, I think we could see him be the best sprinter at this, at this Giro d'Italia. The guy is on fire right now. Do you, did you know, true or false, Mark Cavendish is at this race? Like I forgot Cavendish was starting this race <laughs> until like two days ago. I don't think Cavendish is going to play i don't think he's going to be competitive in any of these sprints and so if that's wide open i guess you have mads Pedersen, you have michael matthews but gaviria on his day is is faster than those guys as weird as it is to imagine him winning races in modern cycling the cavendish approach i'm sure is this is training for the tour and the question then becomes not will he win stages on what stage does he elect to drop yeah, out I was to just then go do whatever the thing <laughs> looking is? Looking at right? the thing, thinking, I, I could see first rest day where you have 
one you have two flat stages before that a few hilly stages that he could maybe get over you know maybe he sticks around until stage 13 which is when the mountains get pretty serious but yeah this guy's on a he's on a pj out of here at some point that's for sure yeah he's got shopping to do or you know you know we're giving cav a bit of stick here i do want to go on the record and say i think he's going to break the mercs record and i do believe he will win a stage at the tour do you think that i you know i don't I guess I could see it. He's so good at proving us wrong, but he has been really bad this year, like non-competitive in sprints, like not able to even contest sprints because he's so far back. You think this is just all part of the Cavendish buildup? I think it's all just, it's a slow build. There's one thing that he wants to do this year. He'll do it. I think he's going to do it. Yeah. I, yeah, I can't, I can't really disagree with that. He's very good at pulling stuff out of his, of his arse when you think there's no way he can do it. Um, you wanted to talk yeah. about also Michael Matthews. Talk about a guy who's come up at the wrong time. The not a good time to be pretty good at climbing and pretty good at sprinting. He this he'd probably be the best rider in the sport twenty years ago. Uh, He's at this yeah. race. Does he win a stage? <laughs> like I don't know. You think well he's a shoe in for the for the points jersey. He's an underdog at like plus five hundred. Everyone likes Mads Pedersen for it. But you know Matthews He's never really bad. He's just seems like he's always finishing second or third to someone who's slightly faster. Correct me if I'm wrong, Spencer, but I believe that Michael Matthews has the only neck tattoo in the Giro this year. No, 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 no. Gaviria. He's a palm tree on his neck. Oh, you're right. Okay. And I feel like I think we're going to see some. Some neck tattoos on the podium. I think Matthews, he got a lot of tattoos when he was a few, this was like 2013, Tour de France maybe, 2014. Like he was the new kid on the block. He was the new Peter Sagan and he started getting a lot of pretty bombastic tattoos. I think if, he, if you go back in time and tell him you're actually going to be a, kind of a role player and guys even better than you at everything you do are going to come along, maybe he doesn't get as many tattoos. Maybe, maybe not. You know, he did. TBD. He did win um, that. Do you remember this? It was this climbing stage. It finished on a really tough climb at the Tour de France last year. Stage fourteen to mend. It, it's like a really steep climb at the end. He wins it. We were raving about his climbing ability. You know that does make me think this guy could could surprise some people this year. To tell you, yeah, I think that that could possibly happen. I don't know why this popped into my head. Maybe I'm in outer space today. Looking at the, again, looking at the start list, looking at EF Education, Easy Post team, I understand why Carapaz is going to the tour. But what do you think about that move of sending someone to the tour who's not going to win the race? Who's your best GC rider? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, off the top of my head, two things they were worried about were the time trials. If you think, well, we're not going to be competitive against Devin Apole and Roglic or even Almeida or maybe even Gegenhardt, definitely not Thomas in these time trials, it's going to be hard. And also he's not in very good shape. And even last year where he, he wasn't in shape and he showed up to the zero and looked pretty good, there was holes in his fitness that just were exposed in that third week. The, the slow build he has into these seasons, and I think he even got surgery in like December. I don't know why these guys are all getting elective surgeries in December. I would get that in September, October, right after World Championships. But that has set him back, so maybe they just didn't think he was far enough along. But I, I'm with you. You look at this 
this race and you think, well, this has got to be easier than the Tour de France to win. There's two really good riders, but after that, it's a softer field. You're probably going to podium. A really, really good Carapaz podiums at this race. You have to imagine. So it does feel like a strange strategy. But at the same time, it's EF. The Tour is their big thing. Carapaz is their most expensive rider, their biggest star. And so maybe you, you don't overcomplicate it and you just send them there. And that's how it is. I mean, no- notably, Magnus Court, who was a standout rider at the 2022 Tour for EF Education Easy Post is at the Giro. I don't recall. Did he ride the Giro last year as well? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't... That seems unusual to me. Given he did, he did ride the Giro and he was kind of struggling. He did. Wow. He... Okay, well, maybe that's an effective training strategy for him. Yeah. He's doing a Matthew Vanderpool. He's riding into shape at the Giro. I think that's exactly right because he was not good. And then stage 18, it was a breakaway. You'd think this is Magnus Court you know, this is what he does. He gets waxed in the sprint and then he showed up to that tour and was really, really fit. So I think that's, that's what's going on here. Um, you wanted to talk, you had a bone to pick about these time trials and bike, what they're going to do on stage 20, if the stage happens, by the way, is the first, let's say 10K, 11K are flat. You do it on a time trial bike and then your team car is behind you with a road bike and you jump off and they give you a road bike and you do the climb on the road bike. You're not a fan of these. Go off, King. Tell us what you think about it. Yeah. If, if the intent of professional cycling is to turn into a sport that has greater appeal to the average person, or if we want to draw more viewers into the sport, more sponsor dollars, then I think it's time to stop doing Dungeons and Dragons, completely difficult to understand things in the middle of the races especially time trials. So we have professional cyclists who are getting off, then they stand there, then they get on another bike, then somebody pushes them. I just think it's very confusing to the average person. And it also becomes an equipment change and pushing contest almost, you know, I'm surprised that no one has tapped former Olympic bobsledders as mechanics to give stronger pushes for these things. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know do, how your your <laughs> the the push you receive at the bottom of a 25 minute long climb. I mean, yeah, if it comes down to a split second, maybe they should have had better pushers, but but it, they sometimes they screw up and it's really funny. I guess that would be my argument for that they can look really 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 dumb and that's pretty entertaining. That's all you got? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but so think about this. I was, I was thinking about this. How would, you, how would you stop this from happening if we're just going to do the thought experiment? Like what rule would you put in to stop this? Yeah, if I were in charge, the bike industry wouldn't like this. I don't know if viewers would like it or not. I've completely lost interest in, time, in watching time trials. I used to love it when I was a kid. I thought the equipment was really cool. It's also kind of the dawn of arrow bars to date myself a bit. But there was something spectacular about the equipment aspect of it. Over time, it just became less and less interesting to me. And then I just found time trial stages eventually to be completely boring. And what I would like to see happen is more of a little 500 approach. And, you know, a bike that you are using on road stages should be the bicycle that you have to ride in a time trial. So as a, for example, if you're finishing on a climbing stage the day before, I think everybody should have to ride the bike that they rode the day before on that stage for the time trial stage. I know this is outrageous. 
you know, but that's what I think should happen. I completely agree with you. Someone on Twitter called us like jaded because I'm the same way. I used to love time trials. I used to love the equipment. It does not appeal to me at all anymore. I feel like it takes away from the sport because you have to be on a team that A, has a bike sponsor that's fast enough so you could be like Ryan Mullen. Ryan Mullins? Ryan Mullen. I don't know if he's plural or singular, but one of the best engines in the Peloton could just never do anything because he was not on a team that had a time trial bike fast enough to let him compete against the guys who were. And then they also have to be able to spend enough money to print you out 3D handlebars that are, you know, these, these new positions are really radical. Like they make the Prane Landis look old fashioned, which was outlawed, I believe, by the UCI. And then they also have to buy you right. a skin suit that is fast enough to let you compete. So it's, I feel like it's taking away from the sport. But yeah, someone on Twitter called us like curmudgeons because we, we were uh, not interested in the technical side of time trials anymore. But I'm, I'm right there with you. I think it takes away from it. I think because, let's just, if you, you're like, well, outlaw bike changes. It's like, so if you get a flat, you just can't finish the time trial or... You know, a lot of guys only have one time trial bike at a race. So if they get a flat, they just change on to, or if they have a mechanical, they just change onto the road bike. So sometimes you do have natural bike style changes in the middle of a time trial. It'd be hard to outlaw that, but I'm with you. I'd say just do the time trial on the bike that you race the road stage on. Boom, problem solved. Uh, I think, and I think the better, the better time trialist then have advantages because the differential in speed is higher so someone like Filippo Ghana can put more time into you on a road bike than he can when you're all slicked up on a on an aero bike and the speed differentials are smaller the margins get kind of ironed out there and it would give an advantage to naturally better time trialists yeah let's just get rid of the time trial bikes I think we're aligned here and same thing with the helmets let's just stick with the normal helmets I am like yeah I don't think I've ever agreed with you more about anything than the than the helmets and now I've I've like agreed so hard I forgot my uh my next question but ultimately who do you think wins the overall here I'm going with Primos and the reason I say that is Number one, I want to see him do the telemark on the final podium. I mean, I've never wanted to see the telemark more in my entire life than I do right now. And if you're not familiar with Primos's signature podium pose, it is the telemark, his landing position from ski jumping and something about it. I don't know. There's just a, uh, there's just something distinct, distinctive and dignified about it dignified. that I enjoy. So I'd like to see that. <laughs> I'd like to see that. The other reason is I think he's in Remco's head. I think that he was just mind effing him so hard the last time they faced each other and just outclassed him. We had Remco yelling at Primos, uh, you know, like they were out on the bus stop ride. Come on, man, pull through. It's like, who do you think you're talking to, kid? No, I, I totally Give agree. It yeah, he, it was unhinged in some ways where it did feel like a group ride or a cat five race where he was just yelling at Primos who was in the race lead. It's like, this guy's never going to work for you in a million years. Just get over it and do your job. Yeah. He was just so deep in his head and then kind of on demand just was waxing him. So the only question to me is, did he go too hard, too deep, too early? And will he stay upright? But I'm just going to roll the 72 sided die on this one and say, yes, he will. And uh, Belgium will cry. Yeah, I mean, I I, Who have you got? I I agree with you. I think it's Primo's, and for everything you said, the mental part is that's a good one. I actually hadn't considered, but when you just look at this route, 
we have six summit finishes, eight mountain stages that, you know, they're maybe more mild than a normal Giro d'Italia lineup. It's a lot of mild grade summit finishes. Like who's the best in the world at that? It's Primus Roglic. You know, he's going to rack up time bonus after time bonus after time bonus. He could have a 30 to 40 second time bonus advantage on Evanapol by the end of this race. And, you know, Evanapol's a good time trialist. Obviously, it's hard to deny that. But Primoz is pretty dang good himself. So, you know, I don't see the time trials actually. I think they're going to be about a wash. I think those guys are going to do similar time trials all three times. And Primoz wins this thing on, on time bonuses. He's just going to rack up so many stage wins that it's going to be an, an impossible gap to overcome. And that's exactly how he won the 2020 Volta Espana, where he actually rode the course slower than Richard Carapaz, but he just racked up so many time bonuses that he won the overall. Remco, to me, just still seems like a brute force rider. The way he uses his team, the way he positions himself, when and how he makes his moves. And watching Primos this year, I've never been more impressed with his riding than I have been in the past couple of months. Just watching how calculated he is, waiting until the exact right moment, never expending just an ounce of effort or a drop of sweat when he doesn't have to. And then at the absolute right time, flipping the switch and kicking everyone's ass. I, I agree. And, and that's why he's going to crash and not finish this race because we're in agreement. And that's <laughs> now that we've, now that we've said it, it's likely that he will crash out of the race. Spencer, I want to get to two really important matters before we have to wrap this up so that I can go disrupt an industry and you can go do your thing with, we do uh, an important question that I have. I know that we've gotten a lot of, questions on Twitter. I've gotten a lot of private DMs asking us, what do we think, given that Drone Hopper is out of the race, is Team Coratech Celia Italia likely to be the TV breakaway favorite? And how many hours will they rack up out front? Because I really don't see too many other tomato can teams. Oh, I guess we've got Green Project, <laughs> Bardiani, CSF. They have some good riders. Bardiani, Bardiani's okay. got some horses Okay, in let's there. talk about it. Who have they got? Who have they got? Filippo Magli? Filippo Magni, don't sleep on the Magni. Cometa Iolo, they don't even have an aero road bike. Are they even alive? Are they even alive? So Kordiak is not a good team. This is like a team I would have ridden for. We're, we're at that level. But the I th they said they were invited, I guess, because they're an Italian team. I like the brand. It's a German bike brand. But they are here specifically to be in early breakaways. And we actually saw it points last year. Where if the teams don't go in, you know, RCS, the organizer gets pissed. It breaks the stage because everyone just rolls along incredibly slow. There's no reason to go fast at all. And it completely can ruin the, the race. So they're at this race. Kordiak's here to get in breakaways. Bardiani's the same thing. I think they're at a slightly higher level. But yeah, these guys are not. I think actually 20, you're going to be sad. I think it's in 2024. It's either 2024 or 2025. A team has to have a minimum number of UCI points to be able to go do a Grand Tour. So these guys will not be here. You know, it will be teams like, you know, Uno X. It will be actual good teams at the race. Can you imagine that? A professional sporting event with wow. actual good teams. Well, here's the corollary to that question. Given that everything else in professional cycling has advanced to pro cycling 2.0, 3.0, Galacticos, action from the line every moment of every day why is the giro 
staying in the past. I mean, we saw it last year. You had the TV breakaway most days before the action really heated up. That hasn't been the case really in any other race. I mean, the classics, we're seeing the action start from 80K, 100K out. In Grand Tours, we're seeing it go from the gun most days. Why is the Giro just etched in stone in a different time? I mean, I think you could you could maybe draw a similar parallel to the country that hosts the race where you know, to sometimes feel like Italy is not keeping up with the, the times of the rest of Europe. I guess it's a culture that really embraces traditionalism. I have the same frustration with this Giro. It does feel like as the Vuelta and the Tour and these other races you know, hurtle forward and have innovative routes and more exciting racing, the Giro tends to be stuck in the past a little bit. You know, maybe we'll hold our judgment until after the, this edition is a little bit different. I think it could, you know, what we've seen the last few years, it's it was like Jean Jean Marie LeBlanc tours, like the Lance Armstrong tours, where you'd have like fifteen flat stages. The first stages are all flat with two time trials in there, and then all the mountain stages are in the last week, which is a complete snooze fest. So at least this one, they've they've shaken up the snow globe a little bit, and we could see some. GC, you know, jab stepping in the first week and a half. So I'll, I'll hold my judgment until after this race. This is, seems to be a little bit more of an exciting race. I should also should say they had a really good director. Um, I think his name is Michele Acquaroni. He was like a really smart guy, wanted to modernize the Giro, and they kind of trumped him up on some money laundering charges and tried to arrest him and fired him. Uh, he was actually exonerated recently in court, but that's what happens at the Giro if you try to change things up. You know, who hasn't laundered a little bit of money, right? <laughs> yeah, well, just to be clear, he didn't launder the money. He was, the RCS <laughs> lied and said he laundered the money, but I think they were just mad that he was trying to make the race exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, speed round. Do we see Thibaut Pino win a stage or will his back hurt? Great question. <laughs> will his back hurt? The back will hurt. I think he will win a stage. Um, he's, he's strong. He's a very good rider. He's strong right now. My concern with Pino, this has been happening for like two and a half years now. He waits until the winning move goes, and then he rides so, so, so hard and makes it look like he's going so hard. And everyone's like, oh my God, he's going to win. And then he doesn't win because he's actually just let the guy get way too far in front. This happens all the time yeah. with him. Um, that would be my concern that he gets he raised, could rack up a lot of second or third place finishes on stage. But I think I think this is going to be a breakaway um, fest in the last week and a half, and I think Tebow is going to take advantage of that. Okay, I have to go in a second, but I wanted to slide over into a different topic that was again this got really hot on Twitter this week. This whole question around the Matteo Jorgensen tweet about how he had invested a lot of time and money personally into his training recovery. I think he was doing altitude camps on his own, things like that. And there's a lot of outrage. Some cycling publications covered this. And then Mateo got back on Twitter and said, Hey, I just want to be clear. I really, you know, I really value the experience that I've had here at Mobistar, blah, 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 blah. The thing that I wanted to throw out there that I didn't really see in this conversation is that in American professional sports, this is actually something that's super common for athletes, even at the very highest level of the sport to do. And I know Mateo is not yet a Galactico. I know he, he I think 
he has incredibly high potential and I think he's done great. And I think he has a really big career in front of him, but it's pretty normal as you're progressing through your career, your professional career, your career as an athlete, you're going to need to make some investments to go to the next level. And you might be in an organization that doesn't have the cash or the level of, uh, sophistication on the op side to support that. And I think about athletes like LeBron actually, who I don't remember when he shared this. It may have been, it was quite a while ago, but he shared like, Hey, I'm spending over a million dollars a year on my own, on my recovery, my nutrition, a chef, a coach, et cetera. I know that's a much smaller proportion of LeBron's income than Mateo spent on what he did. But this is sometimes what you have to do to go to another level as a human being, as a professional in the corporate world, or as a pro athlete, and it's a very normal thing. So to see people get all over his team and get all worked up about it kind of struck me as off. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. You, you are spot on. This is kind of the norm in a lot of sports that it's, the onus is on you to go above and beyond. I think he did it. You know, just I don't know anything. I don't know why he did it. My theory is that he was getting so much crap for going to Yumbo, and it's like, oh, like every good rider is going to be riding for that team. And he was probably feeling frustrated and just wanted to say, like, listen, I'm going broke here, supporting myself, and I want to go to a team with an infrastructure to do it. One kind of you know slight interesting wrinkle here is. That's not all bad, you know, to have your own nutritionist, to be in control of your own training, I think probably feels powerful. It feels like you're in charge. I know Nielsen Palace less left Yumbo because the team does everything. The team has a, you know, you're on the team's nutrition plan. You're at the team camps. And he just, he said he couldn't, he wasn't eating enough and they don't really let you eat a lot. So he didn't feel like he, he just had like a wasted two seasons there because he was hungry the whole time. You know, so there is a power in controlling your own training. Um, but yeah, if you can't afford it, I guess you can't afford it and you feel like you need to go make more money. But obviously, like Valverde made it work. The guy was like one of the best riders doing his own training camps, probably same support Mateo was getting from the team. So, you know, I just it's not all downside that everything is on you to do the training. And also, this is why people move to Andorra so you can live at altitude and you don't have to go pay extra to be at altitude. You're just always at altitude. Having said that, Nice is pretty nice. I'd probably just live in Nice like Mateo does. Yeah. Okay. So my final thought here before we bounce, I may have said this the last time we got together and chatted. I don't believe that he is yet on the start list, but it is my belief currently that Alejandro Valverde will start unbound and he will win in 2023. Unbound. I don't know. That's so soon. Um, that would be cool. Wow, I hope it happens. I, I could see a Belgian waffle ride happening. I think Unbound is just too soon. Do you think he's not ready? He doesn't well, have no, not ready. Just like or? definitely, he's probably <laughs> in shape, but the logistics of figuring out how to get to him—it's not the easiest place to get to. But I don't know. Maybe do you think they would let him in? Probably, right? Yeah, they'd ha- did have to. I mean, he's. I think the last time he was out of shape, he was like 12 years old it's probably <laughs> 30 plus years ago i guess he trained yeah. i don't know i think you were here when patrick yeah i think this was on the podcast where patrick was saying that he gets in shape by just doing group rides with friends but they're like not professionals they're like accountants and stuff he's just out on the local 5 p.m group rides and that's how valverde trained for years and years to be one of the best riders in the world yeah giving hope to athletes across the united oh states right now with that statement no, no i shouldn't have said it but andrew one question before you go <laughs> stage one time tomorrow 20k flat along the coast 
we're looking at like 62 chain rings guys are going to have out. There's no turns. Who wins this time trial? Do we even, is there any doubt it's Ghana? It better be Ghana. I hope. I financially have well, a if big it, stake if in it's, this. If it's, okay. If it's not Ghana, who have you got? I would say. Let's say, because Ghana, Ghana has had some equipment problems and time trials more, I mean, enough that it's the first thing that pops into my head when I think about Ghana doing a time trial. It's he's winning or something weird happened to his bike. Well, sometimes he'll just, this does actually doesn't happen at the Giro. He takes the Giro seriously. Sometimes he's randomly out of shape, not out of shape, just not on top, top form. Remco, if you remember, I stage one of the Volta last year, I still remember how fit he looked. So he's going to come into this thing flying. I actually would say Remco could come into this race too fit. That's my concern about Remco. So does he come in too yeah. fit and win the stage one time trial? But I'm going with Ghana. I think, I think your intuition is right. Remco versus the Volcano. Watch for the GCN behind the scenes in fall 2024. <laughs> and I know you don't like time trials, but I am excited for this opening time trial. I think it's going to give us a lot of clues about where everyone is at. Send me a text when it's over. All right. <laughs> yeah, you don't actually have to watch it. That's the beauty. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, we'll let you go via disruptor, and um, we'll, tr we'll try to pop back on maybe early next week to break down what happened over the weekend. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.